All right, back here at Lawler Arena. Mike McNick and John Leahy with you as the Warriors lead UMass 3-1 at the end of the first period. Mike McMahon joining us now from the WarriorRinkRat.com website and also the Eagle Tribune and EagleTribune.com as well. And, uh, boy, a couple of late goals there, uh, the difference in this game right now at this point, Mike. Yeah, it was, it was sort of interesting to see how they would respond from last night. I think when you come off a win like they had last night, one or two things happen. Either you see a little bit of a letdown because of the emotion you're coming out of, uh, so it's an emotional win that you're coming off of, uh, or that emotion carries into the next game, the next night. I think uh, through the first period anyway, we've seen that emotion carry through from last night into the night. Yeah, one of the things that I thought that, uh, you know, we talked about that they'd be able to do to try to separate themselves, I guess, from uh, the UMass in this game is uh, you look at just where the teams rank on the special teams. And, and Merrimack's power play has been so good of late that they've moved up from, at one point, they were around 44th, I think, in the nation, and now they're up 13th, uh, kind of coming in tonight, and uh, they're only going to move up even higher up with the two goals they've got so far, and so close to the top 10 as the penalty kill dropped a little bit to the fourth uh, spot in the nation after last night's team giving up the two goals, but still, you've got two pretty good special teams units there, and UMass is still trying to find itself no surprise with a team that's got an awful lot of young players like they have, but, uh, you know, that was one area where we're looking at this matchup. I thought that Merrimack might be able to exploit that advantage than they have so far. Yeah, I think you've seen that a lot with young teams, especially on the penalty kill. Uh, and, and on the power play, to, to an extent, too, because you don't have those guys out there that know how to score. Uh, but, yeah, Merrimack's power play of late is just spectacular. And I, I know talking to Joe Fushi last night, he said that they had changed some personnel, they changed some things they wanted to do there. Um, you know, from just looking at it, it seems like there's a lot more player movement, player rotation, especially up high at the point. Uh, they're, they're moving all over the place, and I think they're freeing up some looks that maybe they weren't getting earlier in the year. It seems like they're getting a lot cleaner looks uh, with some of those stops in the points and the top of the circle. Yeah, I'm talking, talking with uh, Phil Waugh, who's the Merrimack assistant coach, of course, who works with the power play unit. Glenn Stewart works with the penalty kill. But talking with Phil, I think it was last weekend, we were talking about you know, why has the penalty kill done so much better. And he did mention, as you said, you know, changing up some of those things. But the, you know, the player movement that's been so obvious, I mean, it's one of the things that they've been very successful at. And you can see it's not just, I mean, to some extent, obviously, you've you got to have skilled players who can execute those plays. But uh, you know, Phil has challenged these guys by putting them uh, you know, challenging them by giving them some, some plays to run that are uh, a little bit more complex than maybe your standard power play unit. You look at what uh, a lot of the other clubs run, and it's a, it's, there's a lot of very standard type of, you know, puck movement and power play and so on. Merrimack's power play is, is one of the more complex that I have seen in the college game, and, and it's obviously been successful. Absolutely, especially lately in the last few weeks. I mean, it, it almost resembles what a lot of what Boston College does with all that movement. And I mean, earlier in the year, BC's in here running their power play, and, and holy smokes, it's like... They don't stop. The puck goes everywhere. They got guys moving all over the place, and it's hard to defend, especially when you're down to man. I mean, you can stay in that tight box in front of the net and try to block shots. That's pretty much all you can do, and that's what we saw a lot from Northeastern last night was just staying in the box and, and just trying to block as many shots as they could because uh, you know there's so much movement up top you can lose track. And I think if you, it, it forces teams that maybe aren't as fast and aren't as skilled that you can't pressure the point because. If you, lose, if you lose a guy, all of a sudden a 5-on-4 goes to a 5-on-3 because you've got a penalty killer stuck in the blue line and the puck's down by the circle. So it, it forces uh, maybe the teams that aren't as skilled, I think, to just sort of pack it in and, and, and let them you know, use their movement and use their puck skills and open up the look that way. They run what they call the scissor play, what uh, Mark Dennehy was calling the scissor play when we talked about it last week and talking about how well the power play was, was doing against Vermont when he scored three goals last Saturday. Uh, the, the scissor play where the, the, the guy at the point 
I mean, usually defensive doesn't always have to be, but because sometimes the cost that, for instance, to play the point, or really, the, I mean, the caliber of players they have out there that they put on the unit, really, you know, you'll see defensemen deep in the zone, you'll see forwards back at the point, not just the cost of but but the, the, the play that they run where they got, where they, they swap positions, where, and, and you, we've seen it at the blue line where, where they'll swap uh, point men back and forth, but then, you know, they're adding a dimension to it with the scissor play where the guy who's down along the, the half wall will swap with the, the point man, and that just makes it, I mean, I'm watching Vermont last week, for instance, and, and Vermont's trying to play man-to-man on, on the power play, and then I just watch it, I just, I just don't know how you would do it. They, they didn't have a chance, and that's one of, that's one of the plays in particular that I was talking about, and, and not only frees up looks in the net, but I mean, it frees up some of those backdoor passes that we've seen, like the play tonight on, on Coochie's, uh, Coochie's first power play goal, where he just has to sneak into that back door, and, and there's so much going on. The UMass penalty kill is almost, it looked like they didn't even know that he was there. I mean, he's all by himself in the back door. It just sort of sneaks his way in because there's so much to look at. There's so much to defend. It's not your basic umbrella where just, you know, the puck's moving back and forth and everything's slowed down and a little fluid. I mean, there's just movement everywhere. And I can imagine, especially, uh, like you said with Ramon, if you're trying to play that man-to-man, it's impossible. You just can't do it. You know, as you get down the home stretch here, and, and I know we've become accustomed to Merrimack playing better and better as the season has gone along. That's been the case under Mark Denny, even when they weren't having the success that they've been having this year. But I, I started to wonder, okay, so you've got January 7-1 and one or 8-1 and since Christmas, and, and what are they going to do for an encore? How are they going to get better, if anything, in February? And I think that, uh, you know, teams that teams that compete and win championships have, uh, first of all, they've, they've got a, a well-rounded club, and they certainly, we know that they had that, but earlier in the season, the, the power play in particular was not producing, I think, at, at the rate that we expected, at the rate that it was last year, and, 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 and special teams can win your championships, and, and, and that was an area where I think we thought they could get better, and obviously they've worked very hard on it the last month or so. It really is paying off. I think that that's with the penalty kill doing the job that they've been doing, and, and the power play getting better as it is. Uh, I mean, really, the sky's the limit, isn't it? Yeah, and you know, I think a lot of it, when it goes back to two, is depth, especially when you get into those penalty kills, uh, sorry, those special team situations where they have a lot of different guys that they can put in on those units. It's one of the things last night that after the, the little scuffle there in the third period where uh, DaCosta, uh, DaCosta and Collins were in the box, Haywood was off for Merrimack, and then you looked at who was off for, for Northeastern. Well, I think it was Silva, McNeely was gone, and then uh, Potato was gone too. So they lose their top defenseman and two out of their top three guys on that, on that or two out of the top three on, the, on their first line. And you look at their roster just in terms terms of depth, they don't really have a whole lot of guys other than that first line. That first line scored the bulk of their scoring. And, and when you take two out of those three guys away, as it got later on in the third period, and I think we saw it in an overtime, I mean, Merrimack was controlling the last 45 minutes of that game anyway, but I think we really saw it in an overtime where well, the Eastern just didn't have the guys that could attack. Uh, and, you know, this Merrimack, you would take DeCosta and Collins off the top line, you take away one of their top four defensemen, and they still had guys like Coochie and Barton who could go out there. And, and, and I mean, that second line is basically playing like a top line right now. Uh, so while you, you take away a team's top line, you go right down the, right down the line sheet, or right down the line chart, there's so much depth in the team. And, and when you can rotate those guys into the special teams, into the power play and penalty kill, I think you've got a lot of... Uh, a lot of opportunity to, to give teams some different looks when you're playing teams more than once in a year, especially. And wasn't that one of the questions that we had back around Christmas or, or so, or just before Christmas when, when they had lost they, they lost the 2-1 to one game at UNH, they lost the 2-1 to one game here to Northeastern, and they only scored two goals in winning 2-1 to one down at Northeastern. They scored 
two goals plus an empty netter in, in winning at Harvard, but we it was a stretch there, I think, from Thanksgiving to a week or so after Thanksgiving where we, we, you're starting to see Barton and the cost to pick it up and scoring goals, and, and, and the other guys who had been providing a lot of the depth earlier in the year were tailing off, and we said, boy, this could be a concern moving forward. Uh, you know, you can't have those guys carry the, the, the brunt of the scoring, and, and if they were able to add to what the other guys were doing, and, and it, it, you know, we talked about it, they got to get back on everybody on the same page and everybody contributing, and boy, seven goals against Maine, seven against Vermont, and seven against Huntsville, and five in the other game, and uh, four last night against Northeastern. I don't know when the last time was Northeastern gave up four, but they have, you know, been shutting out a lot of teams lately and keeping them to two or one goal. That, uh, I would say that depth has not been a problem lately. Yeah, and you've seen some guys come back too. I mean, I was just looking at the stats last night. You've got so many guys that are at, over, or really close to being a point-per-game player right now. I mean, Joe Cucci, I think, at this point is over a point-per-game. Uh, Barton is either at a point-per-game or close to it. Obviously, the cost is over. Uh, Collins has been up in that line with, with, with Todd and the cost of has been playing at a pace where he's over a point per game. He's a little under because he wasn't playing with him at the beginning of the year. And then Jesse Todd came on in November and, and has turned into uh, you know a player that's been a, around a point per game and, and scoring a lot of goals. So uh, you've got your top six forwards uh, that I think you can really excuse me, your top six forwards are really, you can sort of mix and match them any way you want and, and have two pretty good lines, and then you put that matching line right underneath them, and they've been getting some scoring done too. I mean, I think uh, Ryan Flanagan has 15 points in the year, and the energy they provide, I mean, I, I, I think it's not uh, a mistake that those two, that, 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 that trio has started the last two nights in a row. I think just get things off on the right foot, you know, get things off with that energy. Uh, both nights it looks like they try to win that draw and get it deep and just go down and, and, and hit some bodies and, and set the tone, you know, you know, set the pace, throw that first punch and say this is what, what we're going to be about. And then once you roll them off the ice, you get two lines ahead of them that, that have been scoring a bunch. All right, UNH game next weekend, UNH uh, home and home. Uh, handicap that for us. What do you think? Oh, well, I mean, obviously they got a better shot at beating them at home than they do on the road. Uh, UNH is one of the best teams in the country, I think. Although, you know, earlier in the year, though, I thought they played pretty well up there in that big sheet. And I think the difference between now and maybe four or five years ago is that they've got some guys that can skate with, with, with a UNH team. And, and, you know, UNH is always one of the better skating teams in the country. They, they, they build themselves to play in that Olympic sheet. Uh, and I think it's hard for some of the teams that, that don't have those skaters to go up there and win. You know, a team like Northeastern, for instance, who's more of a, a banging sort of team that, that wants to keep things tight, uh, isn't going to have a whole lot of success up there. I think Merrimack is, is sort of a chameleon. They can sort of play in a, in a bunch of different styles, and uh, I think they can win up there. I mean, I, and certainly, it, you can take four points next week. That's not out of the question. It's not going to be easy, but I, I don't think it's out of the question. All right, thanks, Mike. Great as always to see you. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Mike. That is Mike McMahon, WarriorRickRat.com, and the Eagle Tribune, EagleTribune.com, and go check out his live blog. He's live blogging the game tonight. That is Mike McMahon joining us for this first intermission.